to the Voice of HK podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Bajik-Smith, and in over a decade, I have supported hundreds of older adults to improve their well-being in late life. This podcast offers an authentic insight into aged care, practical tips, and all the inspiration to keep you going. I truly believe that every older person needs to feel heard, loved, and understood. And it is my mission to halve the depression rates in Australian aged care facilities by 2022. Hello, everyone. I'm very excited to introduce a dear friend of mine, a man of many talents. He is a qualified chaplain. He is a volunteer. He's a scientist engineer. And what I'm really interested in hearing from him today is about men's group and work he's been doing for the past decade in an aged care facility. So I'd like to introduce to you Bob Creelman. Hello, Bob. How are you today? Hi, Julie. Happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Bob. Now, Bob, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to volunteer in aged care? Yes, I have been in the three areas, I suppose. I've been in academia. I've also worked with industry and at one stage I held an appointment in CSIRO. But when I was coming to what was, I find that was a premature end to my career about 2007, I was very interested in doing chaplaincy of some sort. I'd have, I'd had some experience with uh, the uh, seafarers work, the so-called white angels who uh, chaplaincy to seafarers. So to equip myself, I went to theological college and uh, I did theological training. I found that absolutely fascinating. I learned how to write proper essays instead of, of course, the uh, very uh, clipped, the facts type essays that one does in in technical areas. Um, I was heading, I thought, for industrial chaplaincy, but it really has disappeared as 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 a, uh, I guess, a, a calling amongst uh, those who do this sort of work. Also, the bad experiences a friend of mine had with the closed, closing down of the steelworks in Newcastle, uh, it really strained him and then strained that whole of that community that closed down the BHP. So um, I, because of my mother, uh, who was in care, I started to get very, very interested in working with older people. And so it was your mother's experience of moving into an aged care facility that allowed you to see that opportunity of how you could use your skills in that environment. Yes. um, The management that I had done, the experience of management in groups, particularly in industry, running uh, exploration groups and in industrial groups and and, uh, research groups, that sort of thing the skills that I had obtained from that were partly and in some instances fully applicable to the uh, to, to, to working with older people. But most of all, I have a deep interest in history, a deep interest in people, and it was lovely to speak to some of the people. And the people that I have met over the years now I consider to be 
just wonderful and I make very fine friends out of them. That's amazing. So, Bob, can you tell us a little bit about Men's Group and who is it for? Now, Men's Group, which began about, I suppose, eight years ago, actually grew out of a sort of what we might call, and I don't like the term, the diversionary type of uh, uh, work where we had uh, one chap who was a very good actor and he uh, he used to do readings and things like that. and they loved it. The men, the men loved it. It was just like an experiment. Then, as I start to attend at his invitation, we found that we went into discussions, and the and what we realised was that these men were doing two things. One, they could discuss their interests. Uh, we all oh, motorbikes, uh, motorcars, uh, flying, a whole series of uh, fishing. <laughs> you name it. Absolutely, not absolutely absent, but sport was not the big thing. And I found that quite fascinating. But at the same time, they were interacting with each other. And in their interacting with each other, they were making friendships. And those friendships came to be supportive of them themselves. And that was, in my opinion, probably the, the most valuable outcome. So how did you go about forming the initial group and, and setting it up in an aged care facility? That was, we, we had meeting areas throughout the facility that I work in and uh, we've tried a, a number of places and also when do you do it in the morning or the evening or, or the afternoon, shall I say. Uh, so we've moved from meeting rooms uh, into areas that they have at the end of each, uh, each, each sub-facility. But the best thing seems to be that we have a, a chapel and we do a lot of it there because it has audio uh, uh, facilities and uh, video facilities that we can use. But that was something that evolved. And I think what we've got now is okay. Occasionally we go to other areas, uh, go outside in the garden on a good day and. Uh, they enjoy the, the 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 differences and the and the I guess the diversity of the places we can do we can go to do what we're doing. Okay, so because I've actually seen you a few times in facilities and you know organising these men's group, which have been so successful, and I know there's always that you know secrecy sworn to it. So as as a female, I've never been able to or privileged to attend one of those meetings. But can you tell me from your perspective, what are the challenges for older men in aged care? What are the type of issues that you discuss and resolve and, and brainstorm in your sessions? It was very interesting to see some of the reactions of the men as they settled into men's, men's group and as they sort of, it became for them a type of um, refuge in many ways. I have had numbers of them say to me, I just love this men's group. It is just so good. One fellow we had had to move from one facility to another, and he found that very, very difficult. But the link that enabled him to come across was his attendance at the men's group because he felt he was going into a strange area but the men's group was there, so it wasn't so strange. So we, we, that's the support side of things. 
I think the challenges that men have are much the same as for aged women in many ways, loss of independence, the potential of isolation. I think that's the thing we've got to really address. Living in a common space, a lot of private people who find that a bit difficult, but they tend to settle down. And if you can in somehow seed this relationship of them making friends, it makes it so much easier. In the early times, we had uh, men were actually a minority, but there's been a fairly rapid change in the proportions of men as to women. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but my guess is that men's health is taking is is much more seriously uh, considered these days. So we've changed from being a minority to being lesser than, but not a minority. Oh, and uh, another thing that I think is. Uh, important we often this happens to women i'm sure at the same thing so it's a common factor and that is often we find that the men come into our facility having suffered the loss of their partner their wife and if that's the case there's a time of real palpable grief and that has to be handled pretty carefully because um they just want to give up too Mm. So in your um, in your groups, do men discuss the difficulties in coping and adjusting to the grief or how do you notice it in your sessions? Well, this is the, what I call the miracle of men's group because we will find, and it doesn't happen all the time, but we will find that suddenly someone will come out and they will tell us, their inner feelings, their life stories sometimes, and these are dramatic, some of them. We had a gentleman who was a, a policeman, high-ranking policeman, and he had struggled with the task of being a policeman. Uh, it's a sometimes, uh, in the time that he was working, very brutal uh, and a very difficult sort of task, and he was in areas where that was uh, very manifest. And... Uh, but then he was put on to start the blue light groups, the youth uh, police boys clubs. But then we heard his story of why he did it, how he did it, and it was just wonderful to, to hear. He was in very ill health. And after he'd finished, and he went for an hour and a half telling us his story, he died about two weeks later. But there was peace. It was as though he had sort of validated himself. Now we've had that more than once. And another thing that we've had too is that someone will speak of uh, uh, some topic. This, in this case, it was historic. It was the bombing of Darwin. And we had a guy who had been an engineer aboard a ship and a fellow who had been uh, in the medical staff of the hospital ship when, when they attacked, when the Japanese attacked. And all of a sudden, the two of them realised that they had been in a common group, something that affected them very, very deeply. Well, they exchanged on it and uh, they were able to speak about all their feelings that came from that. The doctor had, uh, had had a terrible experience in the sense that the hospital ship was against the wharf and his... Uh, girlfriend, someone he was romantically linked with, had gone down the gangplank to help people who were wounded off the wharf. And she was at the bottom of the gangplank and a Japanese 
aircraft came across and killed a number of them, including her. And he said, and it, it sticks with me, I saw the pilot and his grinning face. And I thought, what a thing to bear for all those years. Wow. That's, yeah, I've got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. And the two of them then became very good friends until then within months of each other they passed away. But I think that's, that's very good to be able to actually, I guess, tidy up your life. <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah. So the purpose of men's group is to, to reduce that isolation that men and women experience in aged care facilities. And I know that in particular, having spoken to you on this topic before, you know, you've said, you know, there's only so much of craft that men can do. And that for many of them, it's the discussion through these men's group that really enhances their well-being and helps them feel, you know, a sense of purpose and engagement. So can you tell me a little bit about how do you gain new members to the group or people who move into a facility? What is the process of inviting them to come to the session? We have uh, folk who help who go around and say, oh, it's men's group time. It's something that's on the, the weekly calendar and uh, place and time. And they are brought down to see if they like it. So, no, it's not for everybody. There's some who don't like it. We've had people come down and stay for a while, that is over a couple of weeks, then they're not that much interested. They might or might not come back again. So it's purely a voluntary type of thing. We're not forcing anybody to do anything, and I think that's important. But once they, they started to, to do two things, one, are interested in the discussions, uh, and secondly, uh, uh, start to make friends, they'll always come. Now, we tried craft. We tried doing a few craft things. Didn't work with the men. <laughs> they just weren't interested, except for one. We was applied with little, uh, little, I guess, or about 20 centimetre long bam, uh, boomerangs, and they had to paint on some sort of uh, Aboriginal-type uh, motif on them. That worked well. They liked that. But uh, we didn't do any more. Now, I know that um, back in 2013, the work that you have done has been recognised for positive living in aged care, and that was really reflecting the work that you've done um, in men's group. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? It was a time, and that time has now passed, when the survivors of World War II were in our we were looking at the tail end, basically, of those who were the servicemen. So we called it uh, when the guns fell silent. And what we did is we would discuss, everybody had a military record or attachment of some sort. And on the negative side of things, those who had never done that or had done, like we had one chap who had done a lot of missionary work and he thought war was abhorrent, and I do respect him because I have the same feelings. But at the same time, it was a chance for these guys to virtually validate themselves and their service by speaking about their experiences. Some didn't like it, and then they just wouldn't do it or, or partially did it. Others embraced it, and it was, it was wonderful to see. So we put all that together, and we had a presentation of how we worked with them, and that was our entry into the plaque um, 
I'm not going to call it a competition, but uh, uh, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> Recognition, I think, Recognition. is a good word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, uh, and uh, they were kind enough. We, we lost one that was very specialised, a group of people on the Riverina who had these old farmers. And so they had gardens that the, that the farmers could go out into. They had, uh, for those who were, they weren't far from the pub, so that they could wander down to the pub with, a, with, with care and being looked after and then wander back again. Uh, but, um, and I think that the things that they were doing with old farmers, highly specialised, was just wonderful. And it's good to lose to quality. <laughs> we were number two. <laughs> Fair enough. So from the practical sense, the men's group runs weekly at the same time and place in the facility and how long does it usually last about hour hour and a half an hour and a half okay and what do you need to do ahead of time to prepare for the sessions how do you structure them depends on what we're doing we find lately if if we have the audio and the um, video facilities we might pick a topic um we've had a whole series of ones uh, but we had one boat building which uh, we had a couple of old sailors and boat builders and everybody was very very interested not just the sailors and boat builders and they had videos of building a, a yacht or uh, and you know things to look out for <laughs> all stuff that youtube is a wonderful facility there's anything there that you you know motorbikes for instance restoring motorbikes, historical ones of motorbikes. I learned a lot about that. I learned a lot about, I'd always seen in the old war films, these the, the German motorbikes would, with, which had tracks on the back. And there was one that explained why that was invented and how it was used, etc. And um, you, you can learn yourself. <laughs> Some of it's really good. And so you've picked those topics or did the men suggest they wanted to learn more about it or what's the process? Both. We have a talk about what do you think you should do today? Okay, we'll do such and such. Uh, you know, uh, what really surprises me, we try, we've tried it two times, twice. Now, sport, football, they don't want it. And I, and I was absolutely surprised because we've got a couple of, of, of them who are first-class sportsmen, but they just weren't interested. That, that is very, yeah, very insightful. So this assumption that men, oh, yeah, okay, the footy. We'll do something about the footy. It's not valid. They're more interested in much more serious things. If it's serious, if it provokes discussion, if they can tell you reminiscences, that's fine. We've got one chap who was a dirt bike rider. And he, uh, in, in the 1940s, he was a champion and he explained the motorbikes and how they used to race, etc. Now, that's technical and the rest of the men were really very interested. And that's the closest we've got to sport. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I understand that you've had some interest from ladies about joining the group and changing it to, you know, from men's group to a discussion group. So what are your thoughts on that? I th more and more as time goes on, I think that, yes, we can do exactly the same with the ladies, with the women. 
they they crave for this uh, exchange that's intellectual discussion where they can express themselves as well, tell their stories. But um, I wondered how it would work one to the other. Now, I've, had, I've got a bit of a scar on that because at one stage I ran uh, our, from the school that I went to in Adelaide, I, used, I was involved in the old, um, old Scholars Association and we used to have meetings of the old scholars. Then, then somebody suggested, why not have the wives? And my wife said to me, don't have the wives. It's your time. There's nothing common in that particular time in the lives of those, those males. Oh, no, said I. So I tried having a wives group. It was a big flop <laughs> uh, because there was not that common thing. The, the, you know, oh, did you know about uh, so-and-so? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and have these exchanges that are very personal. <laughs> Sometimes they don't want to have that with their wives present. I think, though I'm not convinced uh, in my own mind yet, it's good to keep them separate at this stage. But there may, you may, in fact, go through what I would call a period of training by slowly blending those who, who might like to come have the women there. Mm. So have you had females approach you in the facility, female residents, and what do they say? I want to be this. Why don't you do something like this for us? You know, one lady called Laura, who's just fabulous. She's, she's smart, you know, uh, and uh, her, her relatives are deep into the arts. She's got a, a daughter who's a, a ballet dancer and, and, and a, a real ballet dancer, you know, in a company. Uh, and she's, she's, she's quite insistent. <laughs> so I often go and talk to her. We have, we have, we are starting it, but we're, we're, not all of them are interested, but there are people like her, which we're getting more and more of, who are interested. Mm. And so what do you say to her when she asks to join men's group? Uh, <laughs> well, I try to be diplomatic, and then I, often, I quite often spend a bit of time with her having a chat as part of my visitations anyway. But uh, I have a deep respect for, for Laura. She's uh, very smart and very uh, um, cultured lady in many cultured, ways. Yeah. So what you're saying is that there's definitely an opportunity for aged care facilities to offer more of these group sessions with residents which are not focused on craft, which are not focused on exercise or sport, that are, you know, allow them to share their experiences and have discussions um, to enhance those relationships and, and make new friendships. That's correct. The, it's not the same, but the best model that I can think of that, uh, you know, in a life activity is maybe a tutorial of some sort, a tutorial that you would have at, uh, in the junior years of a university because I've had a lot of experience with that having been in academia. And so they started, for a while, they started to look a bit like that. But you don't want to have yourself involved as the teacher trying to explain to them some concept that you've, they're just not interested. Let them take the topic and develop it within themselves. And they learn about each other. And in learning about each other, they, that's where the basis of these friendships and linkages come from. That's a great tip. That's really insightful. Now, do you have any um, 
Any advice for listeners who might be looking at organising a men's group in their own aged care facility? First up, find a spot that's suitable where you can bring all the men and uh, or if it's women, the same thing. If you uh, want to use audio uh, and um, video facilities, fine. That's in a room that has these facilities or set up those facilities. I, I used to think the best thing to do was some round table type situation uh, where uh, you had the audio facilities, etc. But you've got to have someone who's prepared to do it on a continuous basis each week and, and develop it and learn and interact with the actual people who are at the, in the group itself. Now, the result of that is the person who does that, and I'm speaking for myself, you get to know them. You get to more than know them. They become very close friends. And what happened, because you're talking to them as a pastor as well, and when they pass, I am increasingly fine. It's a blow. And uh, I don't know how many times it happens, it's a blow. I'm losing a friend. But that's life. I mean, that's a trite, silly statement, but it is. And so what, what happens when someone passes away from the group perspective? Well, what we didn't do in the past was that it was sort of like a, we were like a, a railway station. Somebody would get on the train of death and go, and nobody said anything. So what I felt was important was to tell everybody that we have lost, we've lost John. John passed away and John used to be and he said and and you know and that is now common right throughout the whole of the place because they have their friends in the facility as well and they want to have the time to exchange because they're suffering the same grief for their friends so uh, don't just let them pass acknowledge them that's the important thing and uh, and it's like living in any community. You have friends that pass, you grieve them, you make other friends, and that's the passage of life. And it's no different in a facility. Mm. It's very interesting that you bring it up because um, I know that there is a big discrepancy uh, across organisations in how they handle death of a resident and how much information they share with other residents in some, it's very open and they do a guard of honour and they have staff and other residents participate in it. And in others, they shut off the doors and don't, don't say anything to any of the other residents. So I think what you, you were saying about the importance of discussing it, 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 it's quite important so that people can get a sense of closure. Absolutely. Um, I, I, something came home to me when my mother died, and that was that. I gave a, um, it was, yes, well, I'd call it a eulogy. And my uh, younger daughter, as I was saying something, giggled because she was having a memory of her grandma. And it was comical. That's wonderful because you're not, you know, you're remembering them as they were, as vital living people. And that's what you want. Again, I'm saying, that is exactly what you want because the facilities are the homes of these aged people and people in that community come and go. 
and it's a passage of people through it. But honour them as we would in any community. It's no different. That's beautifully said, Bob. Thank you for that. And thank you for your time this morning with this interview. I think it's very important for people to understand the benefits of non-drug interventions to, to boost well-being. And I, I commend you for that because I know you've done amazing work with men over the last decade in, in aged care facilities and have seen a lot of death and dying and also improvements in the quality of lives of men in the last stages of their lives. So thank you for that. You're more than welcome. And it's a privilege to work in this sector, in my opinion. Well, that is another episode of The Voice of Aged Care done and dusted. Be sure to become a subscriber on your podcast app of choice so that you don't miss out when I release the next episode. I'd love to know what you're thinking of this podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. So please leave a rating and review too. Over on my website, wisecare.com.au, with one click, you can grab a copy of my three top downloaded resources on mental health and well-being in older age. Let's face it, this can be a complex topic and I want to give you practical strategies to deal with it. Go to wisecare.com.au for your free copy of these three amazing resources. See you in the next episode.